0: morning, brothers and sisters. It's so good to be with you. It's good to be with you in the Lord's house, in the body of Christ. We are a, a family, a community, a team. This is a team effort, not only Sunday morning worship, but all of our ministries and programs here at Living Hope. Get plugged in, get involved. Want to give some updates real quick about our team. Um, Committee participants got an email this week um, with some staff updates after nearly two years uh, as our event coordinator, Hope Whiteford is uh, taking a step back and going to focus on some family needs and wedding planning and lots of good stuff. Uh, Not only did she help us for the last several years with all of our programs and running events, she was instrumental in getting us into our new ministry center, which if you've been over there is beautiful. Thank you to Hope Whiteford. Uh, You're going to see her continue to coordinate our communion team and continue to to oversee and, and coordinate all of our Sunday worship uh, decor, so she's uh, still going to be around and still going to be helping out. So thank you, Hope. Can I do you... We are so blessed. We are so blessed. If you're wondering, uh, Lachelle Cosma, who has been and will continue to be our, our creative designer, doing all of our print and digital media, she's also now going to take on uh, the responsibility of all of our purchasing, food, and fellowship, and coffee and event supplies. Um, so Michelle is going to be doing that. Amanda Krug, who serves as our ministry coordinator, is going to now be overseeing all the scheduling and logistics for various events and ministries. So, along with them, and Liz, and Corinne, Matt, and I, and the elders and deacons, are super blessed with a great team working behind the scenes. And so, uh, pray for them, for us, and get plugged in and get involved as you can. With that, we're going to turn now to the book of First Samuel. We've been looking at the rise of a king. You've heard the expression, you know, if I were king for a day, you know what I would do, right? People say that. Well, how about this one? If you were a prophet for a day, not a king, but if you were the prophet, if you were the prophet of God for the day and had the attention of all of God's people, not what would you do, but what would you say? If you could even stand before the king himself and exhort all of the God's people and and the king, what would be on the top of your list to say, what are the hot-button issues that you would want to address? Some of you are like, well, I know that area of theology, you know, that the church needs to tighten up on. That's the first thing that I would talk about. Others look at world events and you say, well, I I would call the people of God to pray, to pray for Israel, to pray for Ukraine, to pray for the wars to cease. Some would look and say, well, look at our culture. Our culture is eroding. I would call the people of God to address the eroding culture. Some of you are like, look, the biggest issue right now uh, reigning in, in God's people is the music. The volume is too low. We need higher. Others are like, no, 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 it's, it's too loud. We need to bring the volume down. Some of you are like, we need less percussion. Some of you are like, more cowbell, right? You would take your platform as the people of God to, like, address all of your, all of your little pet peeves about the worship team, right? But what? What are the things that you would stand before God's people and address? What's What are your pressing issues? That's what we read this morning as we look at chapter 12 of 1 Samuel. You can turn there either in your scripture journal, the Bible that you brought, or the blue hardback Bibles. It's page 233. And we're going to read this morning Samuel's address to the nation. Now you remember at the end of chapter 11, the nation was united in battle. They defeated their enemy. They gathered at Gilgal, this place of historical significance for Israel. They confirmed Saul as king. And we read this wonderful line at the end of the chapter that there they renewed the kingdom. It's a fresh start as God's people see the rise of their first king. And so standing there at this gathering of the nation before the people, Samuel stands before the people, the elders, even standing before the new king, and he will address the nation. If you're looking at your ESV, it's, it's titled Samuel's Farewell Address, but, but I, along with several commentators, don't really think that's the best way to understand this, because Samuel's ministry is not yet done. Yes, there's this transition of power, and with the rise of King Saul, Samuel no longer is in the role of judge over the nation. He no longer has a leadership responsibility as a civil leader, But he very much will still have a role as prophet, will continue to see as he's the mouthpiece of God exerting influence in Israel. He's going to continue to intercede for them, instruct them, warn them, encourage them, set in the next king. So this is Samuel's public address to the nation, his state of the union, if you will, as this transition of power is happening as they're entering this new chapter he's saying look keep these things in mind and i summarize his main message his sermon this way serve the lord now you think well that's that's kind of a basic title but it is also very profound and it's exactly the word that the people of god needed to hear at that time in this turning point of history and as we'll see this morning you can see in your bulletin we're going to look at these four main topics as we unpack this chapter this morning One is a call to live with integrity. Secondly is a call to watch out for the cycles of sin. Thirdly is a a call to choose your way wisely. And finally, we'll look at the call to follow God with all of your heart. This is what it means as Samuel calls the people to serve the Lord. And this is, is equally necessary for us to be reminded of, to be called to and by God's Spirit to walk out faithfully this life of serving the Lord. So. Let me pray, and we'll dive in. I'm going to go ahead and read all of chapter 12 in its entirety. Lord God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy this morning. We thank you that you have called us and gathered us in the name of Jesus as your people, as your great nation, those whom you love, those whom you have a plan and a purpose for, and those whom you, you find useful, valuable in your kingdom. God, we want to serve you, our King. So help us as we read your word this morning, as we study it, as we sit under the teaching of your Holy Spirit, God, would you encourage, and convict, and strengthen, and empower us to live for you, for your glory. Be present now, in Jesus' name, amen. And Samuel said to all Israel, behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you. And I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it. They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt, And the Egyptians oppressed them. Then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Asheroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Naash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen For whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not run, do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty, for the Lord will not forsake his people. For his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Amen. Amen. What a what a wonderful sermon. I am just preaching Samuel's sermon this morning, just helping unpack his points. I see four points here, four calls in this call to serve the Lord. The first is to be a person that lives with integrity. And this is not so much a, a call that he's giving to the congregation, to the people of Israel, so much as it is the testimony of his own life, his own example. He he reminds them in verse one of their request for a king that he's fulfilled for them. And he says in verse two, look. The king of Israel walks before you. He is now leading you. But Samuel says, Though I am now old and gray, I've been with you since I was young. And he stands before them in verse 3 to be examined. And he says, Okay, who has a charge against me? How have I abused my power? How have I defrauded you? How have I taken bribes from you? How have I oppressed you? Or misused my authority. If you have any charge against me, speak up now, he says, and I'll restore whatever you claim that I've taken. Now on the back of everyone's minds is likely the opening of chapter 8 where we heard that Samuel's sons, who had been placed as judges in the land, they were doing those things. They were taking bribes. They were misusing their power. And so Samuel says, evaluate me. But the people affirm in verse 4, Samuel, you're a leader of integrity. You're an upstanding judge. You're You're a faithful prophet. Samuel goes on in verse 5 to say, okay, okay, if it is true that I'm clean before you that my conscience and your conscience is clean, then I stand before you and before the, the king as witnesses today that you find my leadership above board. And he will then go on in the rest of the chapter to give his direction, his heavy exhortation and the implication is this, look, I am a leader of integrity and therefore the exhortation, and the direction I'm about to give you is one you need to listen to, It's one you need to abide by because God is, is at work in me through the testimony of my life, through my integrity, and now through my prophetic word to you. And so we listen, we listen to men and women of integrity, to leaders of integrity. And so we see this first call there that as you and I dedicate ourselves to serve the Lord, we must live with integrity. Now it's certainly true for leaders, right? but it's really true for anybody seeking to live for the Lord, to serve God. Elders of the church, we're called to be above reproach. Now, thankfully, to be above reproach doesn't mean you're without fault. It means that you're open about your faults. It means that you keep short accounts, that you don't have hidden sins. That's what integrity means. Because, listen, if leaders abuse their power, if they use their authority for their own selfish gain, how are you going to expect the people that are following you to look to you With respect with an open heart to trust you they they can't they can't if your life doesn't match your words now listen it is true that God is our judge not other people but it doesn't mean that others in the church in the people of God don't have the right they do have the right and the responsibility to assess our lives often we we define integrity as doing the right thing when no one's looking have you heard that before But listen, that doesn't mean people aren't looking. People are looking. And their perspective matters. Their perspective is important. See, it matters if the people around you believe you to be a person of honesty, who's trustworthy, who is selfless. Leaders in the home, leaders in the workforce, leaders in the church. It matters. Paul, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 2 He allowed himself to be examined. He said that his ministry was not using disgraceful methods or he wasn't being underhanded or using sneaky tactics. He says says there but but by the open statement of the truth we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You see what Paul is doing there. He's saying "Examine, examine me. I commend myself to you, to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Can you commend yourselves before your children before your life group before your friends are you a person who's living with integrity seeking to serve the Lord with a clean life again not without fault but open and quick to seek repentance and forgiveness because if not people aren't going to listen they're not going to follow you you're not going to make an impact as you seek to serve the Lord right think about it like this there was one morning last week where I I went in to, to wake my daughter up for school and 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 for whatever reason, something set me off with Sybil. I lost my temper. I spoke to her. I treated her in, in, a, in a terrible way. I was angry, and I, and I shouldn't have done it. Now, I was able to acknowledge it. I was able to, to tell her this is not the way a father should treat her daughter, not the way anybody should treat anybody. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? But, but let's say I didn't do that. Let's say I lost my temper and she came down for breakfast and I said, "All right, honey, now sit down. We're going to do your Bible verse. And here's your Bible verse for today, right? And and this is this is what Jesus has done in daddy's life now. You need to She's not going to listen to a word that I said, right? Because my life isn't going to match anything that I'm saying. But as we walk out, people of, of, of weaknesses and faults and failures, and yet we keep short accounts and we ask for forgiveness from those that we've hurt, and we keep ourselves accountable to those in our lives, and we become people of integrity, we can make an impact. And so don't think, well, I've got to be perfect before I can lead or mentor or disciple or raise kids or, or make an impact on, on neighbors. Don't, don't think that. But be a person of integrity by God's grace because God is gracious. Amen? Living with integrity is, is necessary. It's a necessary quality if we're going to serve the Lord, if we're going to make an impact in our homes, and our families, and our children, with your friends here in the church community, out in the world. We need to serve the Lord by His Spirit and with integrity by His grace. Secondly, I believe that Samuel calls us to watch out for the cycles of sin in our lives. Look down at verse 6. Back in his sermon, he says, Look, he calls to their mind who the Lord is. He said, the Lord who ransomed your forefathers out of Egypt. He, he's a witness today of the charge that I'm giving you. He says, stand and, and listen to me. And he reminds them in verse 7 of the righteous things that God has done for them. And he, and he really outlines three separate chapters of Israel's history. The first in verse 7 is, is the exodus, or excuse me, verse 8 is the exodus from Egypt. And he says, remember when, when Jacob, okay, Jacob was another name for Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, name changed to Israel, who founded the nation. He said, Remember when the children of Jacob were down in Egypt? They had to find refuge from the famine. Then the Egyptians oppressed them, and the people began to cry out to the Lord. And you remember the Lord sent Moses and sent Aaron to to rescue them, to raise them and release them out of Egypt, to bring them safely into this land, he says, the promised land. So here's the people of God. They're, They're trapped, they're in bondage, they're enslaved. Now, interestingly this first instance it was through no fault of their own they weren't in Egypt because of their sin they were in Egypt because of the famine but they cried out to God and God rescued them he then in verses 9 through 11 covers the period of the judges he says you remember after your ancestors got into the promised land what does it say there in verse 9 they forgot the Lord their God what an accusation and so the Lord sold them into the hands of their enemies because they forgot him and they turned from him and they worshiped false gods. And so we read in verse 10 that they cried out to the Lord and they confessed from a place of repentance, God we've sinned, we've forsaken the Lord, we've served false gods, please God deliver us from our enemies, send a rescuer. And what what happened? God sent judges. Jeroboam, who you may know by his more common name, Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, and then, and then Samuel says, And me, a judge sent to rescue you, and God worked through all of us to deliver you from the enemies that were on every side. Why? So that you could live safely, Samuel says. And we see that cycle. If you were with us when we went through the book of Judges, or if you're familiar, it's the same path. Judges has one point over and over, just this cycle. This cycle of sin, rebellion, oppression, and then they repent, they cry out, God rescues them, and then they forget God again, and they go back to the same place. And then in verse 12, Samuel says, what about the period we're in right now, our, our current generation? You saw all this king of the Ammonites, Naash, and he rose up in power, he threatened you. He's the one we read last week about, remember, that surrounded one of the cities of Israel, threatened them. When you saw that threat, Thankfully, they, at that period, they didn't turn to, to false gods. But what did the generations, what did that generation of people do as they saw Naash and, and the Philistines and other threats? Instead of turning to the Lord their God, what did they do? They, they said, Samuel, give us a king. Right? We've, got, we've still got problems, we've still got enemies, and, and we're not going to turn to false gods this time, but we're going to turn to a human savior, a human rescuer. And so they say in verse 12, a king shall reign over us. And Samuel says, No, the Lord your God was king. Your heart wasn't in the right place. You see this cycle? People are attacked. They're in bondage. They cry out to God. He rescues them. But it doesn't take too long before they forget Him again. And they either go to a false god that they worship, that they think will, will comfort them and rescue them, or do they go to a human Savior, and, and, and the cycle starts all over again. And so for us as God's people, if we're going to dedicate ourselves to serve the Lord, we have to watch out for our own cycles of sin. Right? Samuel's not just doing a history lesson for the sake of a history lesson. He's making a point. And if we want to serve the Lord, if we want to be faithful to Him, we need to look at our own history, our own patterns, and our own cycles. Because an ounce of preven- prevention, what? Is, is worth a pound of cure. Right? Don't wait until you're in the predicament. Don't wait until you've fallen into sin. Don't wait until you've slipped back into anxiety or depression or temptation and then cry out. Seek to prevent that cycle to begin with. What are, what are those in your own life? What are the things that cause you to forget the Lord, like Israel forgot the Lord? Maybe as often was for them, it was, it was easy times. Maybe it's, it's a period of blessing, it's a season of comfort. and you're like, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm kind of coasting on my own. Like maybe I don't need the Lord the way I thought that I did. Well, what are the false gods that, that you tend to serve? Maybe it's money. If I can just get my bank account to that right place, I'll be, I'll be good. Maybe it's power, seeking to exert authority and influence over others. Maybe it's the false god of pleasure. If I can just have a night on my own or a week on my own or, or have this secret habit on my own and find pleasure. When you do realize you're in trouble, when you realize that you're stuck and you need help, are there earthly kings that you are turning to? Well, I'm going to put this person in power, exalt this person, and find this counselor, that I'll submit to, or this leader, or this icon of the world, and I'll just follow them and do things their way, because clearly I'm stuck, and maybe God can't help me, but maybe this human leader can. Do you notice any of those cycles in your own life? You have to know your history and your patterns, so that you can cry out to God, listen, before you get stuck, right? Not after. Before the struggle comes, the oppression comes. And so think about this. Young people, or people that are not so young, if if you have gone the last three times you've gone to a party that your friends invited you to and the last three times you gave in and you drank too much guess what maybe you need to plan ahead and and maybe not go to those parties or maybe seek some prayer some accountability if you know that the last three times your mother has visited she's stirred up some some difficult childhood emotions and you've acted the way that you shouldn't and then what ends up happening is you and your spouse end up bickering and you're angry with one another i'm not saying you shouldn't have your mom come visit might be the easiest solution but what I am saying is this you need to anticipate that talk with your spouse ahead of time pray about that get some counsel so that you can anticipate that cycle of sin and prevent it before before it happens right if you know men that the last three times you've gone away on a business trip you've allowed yourself to slip into sinful patterns In a hotel on your own, without accountability, without your kids, without your wife. Guess what? Plan ahead of time. I mean, if it's bad enough, quit your job. It's not not worth it. No amount of job, no amount of money. is worth sucking us away from the Lord into the patterns of sin. Or maybe it's just a matter of seeking accountability, seeking encouragement, confessing it, bringing it to the light. Stop the cycle and the pattern of sin before it happens. That's what Samuel is trying to do for the people. Because if we don't know our own personal history, we're doomed to repeat it. But listen, friends, we don't have to cry out to a human leader to deliver us. We don't have to go looking to, to false gods of money or pleasure or the icons of the world because we have a deliverer, amen? A deliverer a deliverer who will rescue you in your deepest, darkest hour of need after you've failed again and again and again and you're so ashamed and so embarrassed you can barely look him in the eye. But when you do, you find he's loving and forgiving, but how much better if you cry out to your deliverer before you get to that place, right? Anticipating this is going to be a hard week. And so we remember and we hold on to the promise of Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He, it's speaking there about the Father, the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And we hold on to that promise the first day we come to Christ and say, I need a deliverer. But we cry out and we hold on to that promise every day, every morning, in in your small predicaments and your things that are overwhelming and crushing. You cry out to the one who has delivered you and will continue to deliver you from the domain of darkness, who has transferred you into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his beloved son. Friends, you've been redeemed and so you can cry out to him in the midst of potential hardship and pain and slavery. You can cry out to him. Say, God, I know that you've forgiven me. Keep me from walking down that path again. He is our deliverer. Amen? Thirdly, Samuel reminds the people. He calls them to choose their way wisely. That's what it means to serve the Lord. We have to be people of integrity, people who avoid those patterns of sin and people who think about the choices of our life and and choose wisely in the midst of, of the consequences. Look at verse 13. Samuel says, look, you've asked for a king. I I imagine him actually pointing. You've asked for this king. Here's the one you've asked for, right? I've done as you've you've asked. The Lord has allowed it. Here's the king who's now going to lead you, but now you have a choice to make. And Samuel lays out the choice. He says, this is going to go one of two ways. You can either serve the Lord and obey him and listen to his voice, he says in verse 14, not rebel against his commandments, like you've done in the past, right? He's just reviewed that. And he says, if both you and your king follow Yahweh your God, then it'll go well. Doesn't, doesn't give a lot of detail, doesn't flesh that out. He just says, it'll go well, right? Now, the people had asked for a king. Why? Because they wanted to be like all the other nations of the world. But their king had one crucial difference their king was accountable to the king of heaven. And so he says, if you and your king will obey, will not rebel but will follow Yahweh, the true king. See, the the king of Israel was not above the law. He was submitted to the law of God. And he too was, was called to walk in obedience. Remember we read last week he had to write out his own copy of the Torah so that he could follow with a heart for God. But then he says in verse 15, However, if you choose a different road, if you choose to disobey the voice of God, if you choose to rebel against his commandments, then sadly, as you've seen from your history, the Lord's hand will be against you and will be against your king as he has been in previous generations. Do you see what Samuel's doing? He's saying, look, you have have a choice to make. You can choose the hard way or the easy way. And I heard that countless times growing up from my father. I would do something stupid Or I'd be talking about doing something stupid, and he would say, son, life is full of choices. He would say to me, you can choose the hard way, or you can choose the easy way. You can choose to experiment, to disobey, to walk away from the Lord, or you can choose to walk with the Lord. Now in verses 16 to 18, Samuel says, look, I'm going to make this easy for you. God's going to give you a visual aid that I know what I'm talking about, and this stuff is real. Right? He says, I'm going to do something powerful. To remind you of the evil that lurks in your heart. To remind you of what your motives were when you asked for a king. And to make sure that you consider the consequences of this season of the history of Israel. And Samuel is going to call down this great thunderstorm by the power of God. And he says, look, it's the wheat harvest. Two things we can say about the wheat harvest. Number one, you don't get a lot of thunderstorms at that area of the world when you're supposed to be harvesting the wheat. Number two, if a thunderstorm comes, that's going to threaten to destroy your crop, right? And so Samuel lays this out and says, here, let me show you that God is real. Let me show you that that the consequences of your choice are significant. And the thunderstorm comes and the people hear the thunder and the rain and they're terrified for the state of their crops and they're terrified for the state of where they stand before God. And the people get the message and it says in verse 18 that they feared the Lord. What a vivid picture, that if we're going to dedicate ourselves to serve the Lord, we must choose our way wisely, and that means considering the consequences. And this choice that Samuel gives the people is a choice that, that all of us have. If you jump down to verse 23, Samuel says there, I will instruct you in the good and the right way. You, you, can, you can choose the good in the right way, or you can choose the evil and the destructive way and, and I'm, I'm asking each one of you today, I, I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit is asking each one of you today, which way are you going to go? Which way are you going to choose? The right path is the path toward God, the path of eternal life. The wrong path is the, the path of, of selfishness, of an empty heart and an empty life, the path of the world that is away from God that ultimately leads to eternal death. And each, each way that we choose has consequences. And so we have to choose wisely. I was thinking about the same choice that Joshua laid before the people of Israel after they had entered the promised land and they had settled the promised land. You remember as Joshua, again, they're in a season of renewal, a new chapter. And he says this in, in chapter 24. He's called them to put away their false gods, to put away the false gods that their ancestors have served. And he says there in verse 15, If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. I mean, that's pretty bold and direct. Like, is it evil in your eyes to serve the Lord? If it is, choose this day who you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the rivers or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? I know some of you have that in a plaque right above your front door. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he, as a leader of the nation, takes his stand before the people, calls them, follow him as I seek to serve the Lord. We all have that choice. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to live your life for? You say, well, I I made that choice. I, I made that choice years ago. I was eight years old. I was 18 years old. God came. God met me. It's not a choice you just make once, friends. The path to follow the Lord is a daily ongoing choice. And you can choose the path to walk with the Lord into life or to walk away from Him into death. And once you make that choice, as Jesus said, to take up your cross and follow Him, Then there are dozens and dozens of choices on a daily basis that you make every day in every situation with your thoughts, with your words, with your deeds, with your relationships, with your actions, with how you spend your time and your money and your energy. And on every step, the world offers virtually endless side trails as you walk that path to the Lord. To to take a step and and to head down the the wrong path toward destruction. And you can step off of that path of life toward pleasure. And find yourself in a place of seeking comfort or lust or greed. You can step off of that path toward a life of of pride. I deserve more. People should listen to me. I'm going to pursue power. I'm going to seek my own righteousness. And you find yourself in a path of self-righteousness and pride. Walking away from the Lord toward destruction. You can step off of that path at any moment of any day. And you say, well, well, I know the Lord loves me, but I just really crave the acceptance of the world. I want, I want their approval. I want I want to be affirmed in the workplace or in my school or on my team or, or with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I, I crave acceptance, approval. And you take that step. Life is full of choices. You can choose the hard way or you can choose the easy way. Some of you are familiar with that ministry, that series of videos called I Am Second. Wonderful series. You can look it up after, after church. And the idea is is, is a... Uh, uh, people that are interviewed, many of them famous or prosperous in some way, and they've chosen to say, I choose God first and I put myself second. I am second. I listened to one recently about a woman named Brittany Miller. Grew up with a wealthy, successful father, owned seven restaurants, family business, uh, millionaires, and she was being trained and, and to, ra- to be raised up to be the CEO of this whole company. She was in college. She said a driven person Perfectionist. She was her last semester was taking 30 credits, twice the normal course load. She said she wasn't sleeping. Her her goal was just to get done with college, get into the company, run the family business, and, and be, a, be a successful millionaire. She wasn't sleeping, she was full of stress, she was full of anxiety. She wakes up in her car in the public library. And the cop taps on the window and says, Excuse me, ma'am, you've had a seizure and crashed your car. She goes to the hospital, they run a gamut of tests. She's thinking her, her life is ruined. After several days, the doctor says, we can't find a thing wrong with your brain. You just need to stop what you're doing because you have, you're destroying your body. You can't just sleep and, and work. Your stress and your anxiety have literally caused your brain to flip out. And, and she says to the doctor in that moment, she says, well, I gotta go back to school. I've got 30 credits, I need to graduate. And then he says, no, no, no. And he literally tells her, you have to choose. Nobody's making you go back to school. You need to choose right now. Are you gonna stop what you're doing and, and live? Or are you gonna continue down the path that you're on and, and probably end up killing yourself? She does end up finishing school. She gets into the family business. She ends up marrying an NFL linebacker. I mean, what a wonderful story, right? Five years into their marriage, a rough, difficult marriage, her husband finally comes to her. He's had a career-ending back injury. He says, I'm depressed. He says, I need to confess that years ago I committed adultery against you. I'm at the bottom of my barrel. I need to check myself into a Christian clinic, a psychiatric mental health care facility. And he says, will you stand by me? Right? She's got to make a choice at that point. She stands by him. She checks him into to this mental health facility where he gets good biblical counsel and gets an evaluation. Three weeks later she goes in to meet with him and and she's part of the process too with family counseling and stuff and they say actually your husband's ready to check out but we think you need to check in. (laughs) She checks herself in to be evaluated, right? She has to make that choice. Am I just going to continue down this path of success and career and leave my husband in the rearview mirror? She checks herself in. She gets biblical counsel and, and, and growth, and she's able to overcome her own issues. And they managed to put their life back together. But after the, the third miscarriage, and there was all these specific scientific terms about different ways, but, but she, she, the doctors told her, look, you're probably never going to get pregnant. She's, she's overcome she's full of grief she, she's on a, a missions trip with her church and her husband serving so a leader comes up and prays for her at the end of, at the end of their, their session and the, and the, the the person that they're on this the trip with prays and says this year you're going to have a baby she says no no you don't understand We're, I'm not trying to get pregnant right now it's not safe the doctor told me I'm probably not going to get pregnant and and the person says no you're you're going to have a baby by the end of the year. Takes a pregnancy set test, the next day she's pregnant. On and on. You can, you can listen to this testimony of Brittany Miller and, and dozens of others. She's now the mother of three kids, running this, this company of restaurants, married, seeking the Lord, serving the Lord. Why? Because of a choice that she made as a young girl, raised in a Christian home? No. Because at every turn, at every tragedy, at every hardship, at every opportunity, at every challenge, she chose to put Christ first. She chose the path of life. She chose obedience and submission. She chose faith in Christ apart from the way of the world. And that's the same choice that you and I have to make, right? Jesus, our Savior, came and he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he gave us these two choices in Matthew chapter 7. He says, you can enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few and you say wait a minute I thought the life with God was supposed to be easy no no it's, it's the path of life it's the path of joy and fulfillment and abundance but in this world it often is hard it often is denying yourself and taking up your cross it often is standing out from the perspective of the world and, and, and there's a sense in this life in which the way to God is narrow, and it's hard, but it's the path of life, amen? And, 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 and you may be looking around at the young people in this room, and, and young people, you do have a choice to make. The trajectory of your life, if you're 18 to 25, man, the decisions that you make, the, the, the course that you set your life on is, is going to set the stage for decades. Choose wisely, consider the consequences. But whether you're 35 or 45 or... 85 Every day is one of choices. And just as Samuel called to the people, you can serve the Lord and it will go well, or you can turn away from the Lord and face His heavy hand. That is our call. To serve Him as people of integrity, people that are aware of and avoid the cycles of sin, and people that that choose in light of who God is and the life that He offers us. But lastly, we see this morning, if you look back at verse 19, the call to follow God to follow God with with a little bit, with with maybe like 25, 30 percent, right? He says, follow God with all your heart. The people respond in verse 19, and they're they're like hit, they're impacted. The The thunderstorms come, they've heard the prophet of God speak, and they're like, Samuel, pray for us. We don't want to die after this sin of asking the Lord for a king. And Samuel reassures them in verse 20. He says, don't be afraid of the Lord. Even though you've committed evil before Him, don't be afraid. Now listen, the hard reality of Scripture is that those who live outside of God's covenant mercy, who who live a life of rebellion and sin, that that does and that should create fear in the midst of a holy God. But Samuel is reassuring these people you're God's covenant people. God is, is your loving Father. You have no reason to fear before Him. And so he calls the people in verse 20, Stay close to God. See, because fear causes you to run away from God, faith causes you to draw close to God. And so Samuel says, don't don't be afraid. Draw near to the Lord in faith. And he says, don't turn away from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And he reminds them in verse 21, don't fall back into those patterns. Don't turn toward empty things. The empty things that Samuel there is likely referring to would be the, the false gods of their culture. And he says in verse 22, remember this, the Lord will not forsake his people because his name is on the line. Samuel says, as for me, I'm going to continue to pray for you. I'm not going to sin against the Lord by by stopping to lead or to pray or intercede for you. I'm going to keep instructing you how to walk in the good and the right way. And so he says, as he's summing up his sermon, he says, above all else, fear the Lord, honor him. You see that in verse 24, in light of all the great things that the Lord has done in their lives, and His mighty work, the way that He's lovingly rescued you time and time again, faithfully serve Him with all your heart. But He closes with this warning in verse 25. But remember, if you act wickedly, if you serve yourself, if you look to false gods, if, if you go away from the Lord, both you and your King will be swept away in the flood of your own sin. And so while in verse 22 he's assured them, look, God's not going to forsake your people, Scripture is clear that if you give in to rebellion, if you forsake God, you show the hardness of your heart and you show that you don't belong to God. And so he gives them that, that warning. There's, there's a promise of hope in the faithfulness of God, but there's still that warning. And so he closes out saying, look, dedicate yourself to serve the Lord and that means you must follow God with your whole heart. But it's all rooted in that promise of verse 22. Verse 22. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. See, listen, hear this. If you're part of the people of God, if you belong to Christ, God's name is on you. It pleased the Lord to make you his own people, and therefore he'll guard you, he'll carry you, he'll walk with you, he'll empower you to serve the Lord when you're too tired, when you're too tempted think about it, right? Some of you that maybe have started a company and have your name on that company, you're invested in it, so you're going to see it through, right? Your children, most of us gave our children our same last name, right? If you didn't, let's talk after. They have your name. What does that mean? You're not going to leave them on the street. You're not going to forsake them. You're not going to abandon them. They carry your name. You're invested in them. You're going to see them through to age 18, to age 48, as long as you have on this earth because they carry your name and you're not going to forsake them and that's what the Lord says to you, His people you read in the book of Moses that the Lord chose the nation of Israel He set His heart to love them He called them His treasured possessions He called the people of Israel a kingdom of priests and a holy nation and guess what, the New Testament says the same thing about you and I our God in heaven says this in 1 Peter 2 You're a chosen race. Those here today that have faith in Christ are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once, once you were not a people, you were a nobody, but now you have received mercy. Now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So listen, this call... To serve the Lord, this call to live for Him is grounded in the reality that you sit here this morning as a part of God's treasured possession. He holds you in His heart. He's called you to serve Him faithfully with all of your heart because of where you are in His heart. And to, to follow God with all that you have, with your whole heart, means that everything else fades away. And so in verse 21, God calls the people, He calls us, don't seek after empty things. That word in the Hebrew... It just means hollow, things, things that are meaningless, things that you look around and they maybe are appealing, but they, where they're just confused, they're a waste. The, the word means worthless. It, it means something that is, is, is so disassociated from reality that it's just nothing, it's just empty, and yet somehow we still get enticed, don't we? Somehow we still wander. Somehow we still look to those empty things outside of God and yet they have no benefit to us. They give us no profit. They cannot deliver you from your troubles. And no amount of fame or money or security in this life, no amount of likes or friends, no amount of success at work, no amount of physical pleasure, no amount of of, of sexual interest, no amount of, of, of drink or food, Nothing in this world will fill you. They're empty and they're worthless. The call is to follow God with all of your heart, to turn from those empty things, and that means that every desire that you have, every urge, every passion, every love of your heart, every hope, every dream, every longing, every want, every need of your life, you say, God, transform it. Take it. Take the things that I'm not even aware of. Take the things that I'm hesitant to give you that my whole heart, my whole mind would be focused on you. This is, this is the center of what it is to be a follower of Christ. The center of what it is to look to your Father, your Creator, your Savior, and say, I belong to you, I give my life to you. It, it, it's the greatest call, the greatest commandment of all. You remember that time that, that the scribe came to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, what's the most important thing? What's the greatest commandment of all the commandments? And Jesus answered, and he quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6. He quoted from that passage that every Israelite boy and girl and man and woman would have memorized. And Jesus said this, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it. So similar, so much unison. He's, he keeps them together. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, there is no other commandment greater than these. The call to love the Lord. To love the Lord as He has loved you, by His Spirit, full of His grace. God, fill me, empower me, that I could serve you and give my life to you. And that's how Samuel wraps things up, and that's how we wrap up this morning. The worship team's going to come and lead us. And let me just remind you that all of this is in the context of God in heaven being the people's true king. They've just set in a king. They've gathered to renew the kingdom. But Samuel says, but never forget, the Lord is your true king. Never forget the call is not to serve Saul, the human king, but God, the true king. To follow him, to obey him, to worship him, to devote your lives to him. Because in that is the path of life. In that is more hope and peace and joy, more direction, more purpose, more meaning, now and on into eternity. Let's stand together and worship. God, with with a bit of trembling, maybe with some doubt in our heart, we commit to serve you. With uneasiness, with with some lingering fears, with some, some lingering temptations, we commit to serve you, God, with all that we have. And we ask you to empower us that we could be people of integrity. Lord, give us insight that we could watch out for and clarify our own patterns and cycles of sin, those own areas of temptation, would you point them out to us even now? The places where we need to ask for help, ask for accountability, ask for prayer. Lord, we choose you today. We choose your way. We choose obedience, knowing the consequences if we do not. But Father, we know that when we leave this room, there'll be a dozen other choices. Tomorrow morning we'll wake up with a dozen other inerrant paths, God, to walk down. Give us grace and stability. Give us eyes to stay on the clear path, the path of life. Lord, we want to follow you with all of our heart. Give us grace to turn aside from those empty things that you would fill us. We serve you. We submit to you, our Father in heaven, our Savior Jesus. Holy Spirit, come bless our prayer and our worship. We serve you, Lord.